welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary on this Fights in Football Friday. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. If you're watching on YouTube, you see a cattail uh, walk into your screen and some cat ears pop up. Um, you can like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, say hi to Bailey um, in the, the comment section. If you're listening on podcast, I greatly appreciate you. Uh, subscribe, rate and review wherever you can. Coming up today, it is a fight and football Friday. We look at uh, the week ahead in the NFL and the Canadian Football League as well. Um, a big boxing preview as Canelo Alvarez um, defends the unified super middleweight championships against Jermel Charlo. So we'll break that one down. Uh, we will take a look at a fight that was announced earlier today and uh, some big news in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, just some housekeeping. I had been saying all week that this was going to be my NHL Difference Makers episode. Uh, I'm going to change that. We are actually going on a trip this weekend. Um, we are making our way to Montreal and I don't totally feel like uh, doing sports podcasts is going to be the best way to, to go about one's anniversary trip. So I'm um, going to hold off on the difference makers thing. Um, I'm still going to do it today, but you're not going to hear it uh, until Monday and then Tuesday, hoping to do uh, a bit more of a, a Calgary Flames centered preview for you guys. So that is what is coming up. As always, follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimekline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email this show, Coach Potato Diary at yahoo.com. And of course, look for the show on Facebook. So, Bailey's ready. Hopefully, you guys are ready. Should be a fun one. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. And just like that, I'm holding a cat. Um, okay, so let, let's begin here with the NFL. A pick per play, a pick per game. I keep screwing that up. I should. I name the fucking things. I should be able to change that. I should change that. Anyway, um, it is week four in the NFL as the, the season reach or heads toward, I guess, its quarter pool. Um, overall, this season, we are 27. Oh, there goes the cat. Uh, we are 27 and 19. Um, and on the picks that we click, we are 13 and 11. So really, we should just click on all of them. Um, but uh, that is where we are at. Last week, we went eight and seven overall, five and three in the ones that we click. We start early Saturday morning in jolly old England as the Jacksonville Jaguars take on the Atlanta Falcons. This one is considered a Jags home game. They are favored by three points in this one. The over-under sits at 43 and a half. Statistically, Atlanta is 20th in EPA per play on the offensive side of things. Uh, DVOA, they are 25th in, uh, overall, 24th in offense, 20th in defense. Jacksonville, 29th in EPA per play, 24th in DVOA, 23rd in offense, 18th in defense. So, we got a mid-off. Um, Atlanta has not has shown that they, I think, are in a weight class above maybe what people thought they were this season. I think the defense, it's been okay. Again, everything has been fine, but Desmond Ritter has been something that has held this team back. He is one of the worst in the league when you look at um, completion percentage compared to expected. Um, he is one of the, the worst in the, the National Football League at that. Um it's just, it hasn't been good. I feel like he is actively holding this team back. But the weapons you like, right? Like, Bijan Robinson is good. Drake London, we think, is pretty good. And Kyle Pitts, we're pretty sure, is pretty good. Um, so there are there are weapons on both of these teams that you actually like. Because um, on the, the Jacksonville side of things, there's a few, right? Like, I, I'm not the biggest ETN fan, but he doesn't suck. Um, you, you look at, like, Calvin Ridley had a great first week, but has kind of taken a step back. That There hasn't been anything that has stood out as being like, oh, this is the reason why Jacksonville has fallen off this season. 
they just kind of have. So I, I'm not picking a side in this one. I'm going under 43 and a half. I just don't feel like either offense right now is clicking to a point where this game's going to get into the 44, 45 point range. Um, so I, I will take this one to go under the number, which is a bit more of a statement on where, where Jacksonville is at right now. Cause this coming into the season, this should have been a clear win for them, but they have really slipped on the banana peel to start this season. It is one of the most highly anticipated matchups of the season so far in the NFL. As Chicago takes on Denver, two of the worst teams from last week go head-to-head. -head. Denver is favored by three and a half points. The over-under six uh, sits, sorry, at 46 and a half. Um, Denver is 15th in EPA per play. Um, this may surprise you. Defensively, they're worst in the league at EPA per play, um, which again, just a, a quick explainer here. Um, EPA is an expected points average. So if you're at the 25-yard line, um, if you're at your own 25-yard line to start the drive, there is an expected points of X. If you make a big play that gets you to the 50-yard line, then all of a sudden your EPA goes up a little bit because when you're at the 50, your expected points goes up. And so the that there is obviously a points difference between between those two. And so, like, you get credit for that, and then they average it out per play. That is kind of how it is done. It's just kind of to see, like, how how your, um, how your offense, and, and I guess uh, defensively it's stopping that, but um, how are you kind of moving the ball down, down the field? And DVOA, once again, is an efficiency stat that, as the season goes on, will weight games um, that happened most recently and kind of on down there so you get a, a much more accurate glimpse as to, to what is going on with these teams. So that's why we use them. Um, and I, that probably wasn't the best explanation, but... Your boy tried. Anyway, Denver sucks at it, is what I'm telling you. Uh, 32 and a half, uh, or sorry, <laughs> it feels like they'd be 32 and a half. Um, they are 32nd in the league at EPA per play on the defensive side of things. Uh, their DVOA is 29th. Offensively, they're 14th. Defensively, they are 32nd. On the Bears' side, it's not a whole lot better. They are 31st in EPA per play, 31st in defense, 32nd in DVOA, which has them 31st in offense and 30th in defense. So, both these teams suck. Um, it has been a startling start to the season for both of them. For the Bears, this is relatively unexpected. There was a, a jump that was expected to happen this year with the Bears that just hasn't. Um, Justin Fields has looked plain and just, quite frankly, uncomfortable and wildly ineffective in an offense that was supposed to elevate him. None of the weapons they have brought in have helped, and the running game has kind of stalled. On the defensive side of things, they can't do a fucking thing. On the Denver side, defensively, uh, they've been torched. That's pretty obvious. 70 points against Miami. Yeah. Um, but even Washington putting up 35 against them. And like, I mean, we're going to get to a point where it's like, man, you can have 17 to the Raiders. But like defensively, this team has not done a whole lot um, this season. In fact, they've done nothing this season. Offensively, they have moved the ball. But part of that was... Uh, against a Washington defense that no one is really taking seriously and against a Raider defense that absolutely no one's taking seriously. And I'm going to suggest when defense is up by 50, they're probably backing off a little bit. So, um, again, not really trusting what we are seeing from this Denver football club. Um, th this is absolutely a stay away of, of all stay aways. I am going to pick Denver minus three and a half. I do just think they have a better team right now than what Chicago can produce um 
And that's not a thought I would have had at the beginning of the year. I, I kind of thought Chicago would have elevated Denver had falling off, kind of two ships passing in the night. But um, the Bears ship has just broken down. Baltimore taking on Cleveland. The Browns are favored by two and a half points. The over-under for this game sits at 40 and a half. Baltimore coming off of a frustrating loss against the Indianapolis Colts, sit 12th in the league in EPA per play, 6th in defensive EPA per play. In terms of efficiency, they are 8th in the NFL, 11th on defense, or 11th on offense, 5th in defense. Uh, Cleveland, 22nd in the league in EPA per play, but their defense is 1st in defensive EPA. Um... They are fourth in DVOA, first on defense again, 18th on offense. Um, the the Browns defense is obviously getting a lot of their flowers this week. That this is a a strong defensive side, but maybe like a historically good defense by the time that this is all said and done. I am still not buying into this offense. I, I still don't think Deshaun Watson has shown us enough to think that this team is one that can excel offensively. On the Baltimore side of things, they have not had the most arduous of schedules so far um indianapolis not great lost to them don't do that but um then they had uh the texans in week one and they had a hobbled cincinnati Bengals team in week two so the defensive numbers look good right now on the baltimore side of things this is going to be uh, i think a bigger test than at least two of those matchups would lead you to believe but this is still a good baltimore defense. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that they cancel each other off, but I do think the gap between the Browns defense and the Ravens defense isn't as big as the gap between the Ravens offense and the Browns offense. Um, I, I, I just feel like that this is going to be one where Baltimore still is able to to get ahead in this game and and pick up a win. So, um, but even if that even if they don't get that, all we need is for them to cover. I'm taking Baltimore plus two and a half. Cincinnati taking on the Tennessee Titans. The Bengals favored by two and a half points. The over under in this game sits at forty and a half. The Bengals have got off to a slow start, but a big win on Monday night. They are now twenty fifth in EPA per play, eighteenth in defensive EPA per play, twenty third in DVOA, twenty fifth in offense, twenty second in defense. Uh, for the Titans, 26th in EPA per play, 25th defensive EPA per play, 27th DVOA, 30th in offense, and 15th in defense. Um, that was a really bad outing from the Tennessee Titans against the Cincinnati Bengals uh, a week ago. Or sorry, against the Cleveland Browns, sorry. Uh, a week ago. The offense could not do anything, and that has kind of been a theme so far this season. Now, I still think they're the best team in that division. Um, but they have not shown a whole lot to, to feel comfortable about so far. The, the defense that I thought might be able to take a step kind of has, um, but offensively, they are still getting things figured out. The good news for this team offensively is that DeAndre Hopkins looks like he is the dude. And while Derrick Henry hasn't, uh, Tajay Spears might be. He, he's been pretty good so far this year. So um, I think that this is, I think that this is absolutely a team that, better things are coming for, but they have struggled. On the Bengals side, that's a big win on Monday. Um, it, it still wasn't a picture-perfect performance from Joe Burrow by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think they're going to be able to have success on this ten uh, Tennessee defense, even with Joe Burrow at like 70%. So I will say uh, the Bengals are the pick here at minus two and a half. Uh, the Miami Dolphins taking on the Buffalo Bills in what is actually the marquee matchup of the week. Buffalo is favored by two and a half points. The total sits at 53 and a half. 
the visitors, Miami Dolphins, are first in the league in EPA per play. Again, when you put up 70, your offensive stats are going to look pretty good. Uh, 17th in defensive EPA per play. On the efficiency side, they're second in DVOA. First in offense, 21st in defense. On the Buffalo side of things, everything looks very good. They are third in the league in EPA per play. They are second in the league in defensive EPA per play. First in DVOA, fifth on offense, second on defense. That This is a marquee matchup um, for this one this week. Um, just saw before we started recording today that Jalen Waddell has cleared the concussion protocol, so he will be okay um, for this matchup, uh, while Jalen Phillips is out against the Bills. That is a big loss for the, the Miami Dolphins going into a marquee game here against Buffalo. And you, you look at both sides. Offensively for Buffalo, can be an elite-level offense. Defensively for Buffalo, can be an elite-level defense. On the Miami side of things, elite-level offense, not so much on the defensive side. So the inclination, I think, is to be, okay, well, what's the weakest aspect of this game? It's clearly Miami's defense. Thus, let's take the Buffalo Bills. I will point out um, that while Miami has not faced a whole lot of juggernauts this year, faced the Chargers, which is pretty good offense, and, uh, I mean, New England and Denver, so whatever. But there's at least one in there. On the Bills' side of things, the defensive numbers look good, but they have played the New York Jets, who had Aaron Rodgers for four plays. Um, they played the Vegas Raiders, who are terrible, and they played the Washington Commanders. For analysis on that, see Raiders, Vegas. They have not been overly tested this year on the defensive side of things. To say they will be tested this year, or in this game, would be an understatement. Um, th this is a very good Miami team, and getting Jalen Waddle back adds an interesting element to this. I think the Dolphins win this straight up. Um, I, I think that they have a better offense, and I don't think the Bills' defense has been tested in this way yet. It is still very good, but they haven't been tested in a way that makes me think that they are going to, to be able to do this. And... This feels like a game where Josh Allen maybe tries to do too much one more time. So I'm going to take Miami plus two and a half points, and I'm going to take them to win straight up plus 130. Uh, that's going to be coming up again in today's ticket. Washington taking on Philadelphia. The Eagles now favored by nine points. The over-under sitting at 43 and a half. Washington has struggled this year statistically. Record-wise, they're doing okay. But statistically, yeah. Um, they are 28th in EPA per play, 19th in defensive EPA per play. Uh, DVOA is at 22nd. They are, I believe that says 19th in offense and 19th on the defensive side of things. Again, when looking at efficiencies for this offense. For Philadelphia, they are 11th in EPA per play on offense. On defense, it's at 8th. DVOA, uh, they are 5th in the league overall, 10th on offense, and 7th on the defensive side. So, Looking at how these two teams stack up, Philadelphia is better in every way, shape, and form. I don't think this needs to be a lengthy analysis. This is a division matchup. The Philadelphia Eagles are just better. I expect them to put a stamp on it and kind of remind everyone why we consider them one of the top two teams in the NFC. I'm going Eagles minus eight, and we're putting a check mark by that one. Interesting game here in the NFC South as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take on the New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Saints favored by three and a half points, total sitting at 40 and a half. On the Tampa Bay side, 
it's been an average start to the season for a team that people thought was going to be bad. I am I am so happy about my Tampa Bay Bucks call, um, at least for now. Anyway, well, we'll see how it goes later on in the season. But Tampa Bay right now, currently sitting at 14th in EPA on offense, 15th on defense. DVOA, they're 19th, 22nd on offense, 14th in defense. On the New Orleans side, they are 17th in EPA per play, 10th on defense. Um, and in DVOA, they are 11th overall, 17th on offense, 6th on defense. The best unit in this game is the Tampa Bay, de- or is the, the New Orleans defense. They have given fits to every team that they have faced so far. I just have some questions about this team offensively. Jameis Winston is going to come in um, and play quarterback for this team. And look, if they have good Jameis, New Orleans could win this game by 30. If they have bad Jameis, um, then he could have 135 yards passing and four interceptions. I think Tampa Bay is good enough that they are going to be able to just kind of tortoise in the hair this one to, to a victory. Just mind their P's and Q's. Um... It's kind of like an um, MMA fight where it's, yeah, they'll win a decision here. Um, I think that just relying on Baker Mayfield to, to game manage here, not make many mistakes, kind of do what they've been doing so far this season. I think Tampa Bay covers this one. I'm going Tampa Bay plus three and a half. Um, this one's not great. Minnesota taking on Carolina. The Vikings are favored by four and a half points with a total of 45 and a half. The Vikings offense is doing okay this year. They're at 13th in EPA per play. Uh, their defense is 26th. Um, efficiency-wise, nothing is good. They are 20th in DVOA, 16th in offense, and 27th in defense. On the Panthers' side of things, look, offensively, they are 21st in EPA per play. Defensively, they're 24th. Um, DVOA, 26th on DVOA, 26th in offense, 24th on defense. Basically, the Panthers aren't very good at anything. Um, this has been a down year for them. Bryce Young has not come in and revitalize this franchise with zero offensive weapons around him. And a defense that I thought was actually going to be okay hasn't been. On the Minnesota side of things, the defense, which desperately needed to be good for this team to, to take any kind of a step in the NFC North, hasn't been. And the offense has been okay, but not good enough to overcome those shortcomings. I do think they're good enough here. I just don't see Carolina being able to do a whole lot. So I think the Vikings take this one and cover at minus four and a half. Moving on. As I flip my notebook over. Oh, we just have to turn the page entirely. My bad. Uh, We are going with the Rams taking on the Indianapolis Colts. Sorry for all the page noises there. Uh, The Rams come into this one. The offense, like I said, the offense is moving a little bit better. And so that's why they are favored by a point and a half in this game with a total of 47. Offensively, they're ninth in the league in EPA per play and 12th in efficiency. Uh, Defensively, they are 21st in EPA per play, uh, 26th in defensive efficiency. So not great. Um, And DVOA overall, they are 18th. On the Indy side of things, 24th in EPA per play, 7th in defense. And the defense is uh, 13th in DVOA with an offense sitting at 21st, giving them an overall rating um, right in the middle at 15. The the Colts will once again have Anthony Richardson in their lineup, uh, taking on a, a Rams team. Like I said, that's been able to move the ball pretty well so far this year. The defense hasn't been great, but offensively, they have been able to, to move it. And I think that this is a, a matchup where Puka Nakua can really thrive once again here against uh, the, the Indianapolis Colts. So I think this is a stardom if you got him one for the, the LA Rams. But I do think that the, the Colts are going to hang in this one, but I think the Rams are just the better team. Um, th- those defensive numbers are interesting though. So it, it has an eyebrow raised as to, to what Indy might be able to do here against a, a pretty good Rams offense, but I'm going to go Rams to cover minus one and a half. Pittsburgh taking on Houston. This line surprises me a little bit as the Steelers are at minus two and a half. Uh, over under sits at 42 and a half. Now, the Steelers' offense has struggled. Um, 30th in EPA per play, 27th in DVOA. They're 8th in DVOA. 
DVOA on defense and ninth in defensive EPA per play. All of the numbers on the Houston side of things are in the 20s. They do come up with a good win this week uh, against um, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, but... I think people are really overreacting and just wanting to find something that's like, oh, could this be the breakout, whatever. No, this is still not a good football team. There's pieces that you like. Um, they can't run the ball worth a darn. And um, the Steelers defense going to provide a little bit more resistance than what they saw against Jacksonville. I think this is one where it's a bit of a humbling experience for the Houston Texans. I think Pittsburgh takes this one pretty handily. Um, and I think they easily cover two and a half. Vegas taking on the LA Chargers. This is another one where the the, the number kind of surprises me a little bit as Vegas has struggled overall. Um, they are 19th in EPA per play, but 29th on the defensive side of things. And in DVOA, they're 30th with um, defense and offense both kind of struggling. On the Chargers side, 5th in EPA per play. They're third in offense in DVOA. The defense has struggled 28th in defensive EPA per play and 29th in DVOA. That's not going to be a problem here uh, against this Raiders team. This Raiders team really struggles to move the ball. I will say there is an opportunity here. They, they need to get back to the running game as Josh Jacobs has not gotten off to a good start this season. But I, I just, I in no way see the Raiders offensively being able to, to stay up or to keep up with the Chargers. And defensively, I don't think they're going to be able to limit them enough to have a hope in hell in this. So I am going uh, Chargers. Minus five. San Francisco against Arizona. The 49ers are 14-point favorites. Um, not a whole lot here. I do like how Arizona has been staying in games, battling, and just kind of... Um, not just, like, folding up tents, like we all thought they would. Like, oh, yeah, this will be what it is. Um, and just kind of going through the motions through the season. This is a team that's going out there and playing, and that's great to see. But they're not close to San Francisco. It's 49ers minus 14. Um Pretty easily. I feel good about that. Um, we now go to Dallas, where the Cowboys take on the New England Patriots. The Pats are 23rd in EPA per play and find themselves as six and a half point underdogs against this Cowboys squad. Uh, the over-under sits at 43 and a half. Dallas with a humbling experience last week uh, against Arizona. I think that defense is still pretty good, but they have been banged up. I don't see the Patriots offense being able to do a whole lot once again this week, but I do think their defense is going to be able to, to limit Dallas here. So I'm going to actually go with the under in this game. Minus, or uh, under, sorry, 43 and a half. Kansas City taking on the New York Jets. Um, Kansas City's offense got back on track this week. They are nine and a half point favorites against the Jets. I do think the Jets are going to be able to, to keep this one relatively low scoring. But this offense just isn't good. Um, Zach Wilson has struggled. Um, just... Simple things like that, that check down on fourth and 10 with the game on the line, you just simply can't do. Like he, he checks down when he's not supposed to, and he's aggressive when he's not supposed to. Like there's just, this is going to seem rather harsh. There isn't a whole lot he does right. And that's a big problem, I think, for this team. Um, and so I, I just don't see how the Jets keep up with Kansas City here on Sunday Night Football. It's Kansas City minus nine and a half. And then a huge game for the Giants on Monday Night Football as they take on the Seattle Seahawks. Giants are favored by one in this game. Their offense right now, 27th in EPA per play. Everything is either in the 20s or the 30s for their rankings statistically. Seattle's defense is in the 20s, uh, but offensively, they're fourth in EPA per play and fourth in DVOA. I think this offense has a real chance to put up some big numbers this week here against the Giants that I just don't think this Giants team is going to be able to match. Um, we will see what Saquon Barkley's status is for Monday. I would imagine it's still Matt Breida for this game. 
this Giants offense just isn't very good. And Seattle's kind of is. They're back on track after a rough one against the, the Rams. Back-to-back -back weeks where they've looked pretty good. I think the Seahawks take this one. So I'm going Seattle plus one. Uh, we'll get into which picks we clicked later on. But those are our NFL picks for week four. Now, let's get into some CFL. All right, quickly into the Canadian Football League. Uh, tonight, it's a doubleheader once again. Toronto taking on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This would be one of the marquee matchups of the season if Toronto hadn't wrapped up everything in the East and decided to sit everyone. So, um, I think this is an easy one. Winnipeg minus seven. The, the Bombers are in an intense battle for top spot in the West Division, which in the CFL is huge, which if you're new to it or whatever, need a refresher, uh, they are the, the top team in the division, gets a buy into the division final, which Toronto already has, and a, um, obviously, on-field advantage in that division final. The difference, as we've talked about before, the difference between Winnipeg and BC hosting that in November is rather large. Um, if I'm the Bombers, I would much rather have the Lions come face me in Winnipeg than have to go to BC indoors um, for the, the West Final. So I, I think this is a monster game for the, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and, and I think they're going to come out and treat it as such. So I think Winnipeg wins this one and covers seven and a half. Saskatchewan taking on BC. The Riders have stumbled over the last little bit, but they have played with the exception of the Banjo Bowl, they have played good teams really well. Um, they, they have hung with... They've beat BC straight up. They've beat Winnipeg straight up. They have hung with um, teams in other games as well. I think the Riders keep this one close. I don't think they win, but uh, I'm going to go Saskatchewan plus the points at plus 10. Moving into the Saturday slate, Montreal taking on Ottawa. This one's not the most in-depth analysis. Montreal's a better football team than the Red Blacks are. Ottawa's playing better football right now um, than they have at points in the past, but we've been tantalized by a good Ottawa outing before. They don't have the consistency yet of a good team. I think Montreal does. So I'm going to go Montreal here, minus a point and a half. Calgary taking on Hamilton. I think the Stamps are done. Um, I, I thought last week was just an abysmal showing against Montreal. They do that again against Hamilton. Hamilton's going to wipe the floor with them. Even still, Hamilton's a better team. I'm going to go Hamilton minus one. And some of these are going to come up when we talk about today's ticket a little bit later on in the show. But to recap, uh, Winnipeg minus seven and a half, Saskatchewan plus 10, Montreal minus one and a half, and Hamilton minus one. Those are your CFL picks. That is the football portion of Fights in Football Friday. Now, let's get into the fights. All right, it is a big boxing weekend this weekend as Canelo Alvarez takes on Jermel Charlo with the undisputed super middleweight championships on the line. All four of them uh, up for grabs um, with Canelo Alvarez going up against Jermel Charlo. This is such an interesting fight to, to look at um, in terms of legacy, in, in terms of a, a number of different things. So we're, we're going to look at this here. We went over some of the big storylines earlier in the week, but to recap, um, for Canelo Alvarez, this is the biggest name he's going to be facing in a while. With all due respect to the John Ryder's and the Caleb Plants in the world, Gennady Golovkin is, is certainly up there. But there, there haven't been a whole lot of big marquee fights for um, Canelo Alvarez lately. For, for, like, hardcore boxing fans, some of the names have been really intriguing. But in terms of, like, putting them up on the marquee, Canelo versus Charlo does a whole lot more than Canelo versus Ryder. Um, so that this is back into a big, big, big spotlight for Canelo. Not that he's ever really left it, but you understand what I'm saying with this. Um... There is a lot of wonder 
if Canelo Alvarez is just kind of washed. Um, he has not looked overly impressive in his last number of fights, really. Um, we haven't seen the same Canelo Alvarez come out and, and be a killer. He's done enough to win in everything but one um, after a, a loss to Dimitri Bivol. But um, he, he has done enough to win. But this is a, a chance, uh, once again, against a big name to, to kind of stay. Not only a big name, because he is always going to be a, a big name in boxing. Um, and, and he's always going to be a big draw. Um, especially due to the, the Mexican fans on his side. But Benavidez is coming up um, as, as someone who has kind of taken that mantle for someone who could fight on Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Weekend every year. Um, the, the UFC took Mexican Independence Weekend from them. So this is a chance, I think, for Canelo to just kind of reestablish, like, look, there's a reason everyone loves me. There's a reason I have been at the top of this game since Floyd Mayweather left and why I was knocking on that door before he left. This is a chance for Canelo to reestablish that he is one of the guys you absolutely have to see and he is absolutely going to deliver and he is absolutely still a threat, pound for pound. For Charlo, um, this is the, the biggest name he'll ever fight. And, I mean... It's because he's fighting the biggest name in the sport currently that that's it's pretty easy to make. Again, for some of the hardcore, some of the fights that he has had have been very important. But in terms of big brand name stuff, this is the fight that gets Jamel Charlo to be talked about on ESPN, to be talked about in all of these different uh, areas. It's not just Ring Magazine and DAZN's boxing show that's talking about him now. That This is the, the big time for Charlo, and he has a chance now to really show why, at 33 years old, he should have been in these conversations a while ago. Um, so it's a chance to, to really put on um, a, a big star-making night. For a guy who's already a, a, a star, but not a superstar, this is a chance to become a superstar and put an exclamation point on a pretty good career and try to find a career-defining win. Um, he's moving up two weight classes in this one. Now, he's facing Canelo Alvarez, who's also basically moving up two weight classes for this fight. Um, Charlo is actually taller and longer, but Canelo is more comfortable fighting guys at this weight class, and I think we have seen some of that power has carried up with him regardless of the weight class, right? He's knocked out Kovalev at 175 pounds. So um, the, the power is always going to, to carry up there with Canelo, but he now has a chance after becoming uh, the undisputed champion at 154 pounds to move up and become undisputed in two weight classes, joining Terrence Crawford, who did it a couple of months ago, and Clarissa Shields as the only human beings in the four belt era, which started in 1988, to unify all of those championship belts. So this is a chance for history for Charlo. For Canelo, he unified these belts a while ago. This would be his third, uh, third or fourth successful title defense of all of these. And a lot of times, someone will come in, unify the titles, and then bounce. Like, all right, I've done the thing that I wanted to do at this weight class. This is my time now to move up. But he has stayed here and defended, and that is really admirable for, for him to do that. Um, and to do that again would be nothing short of historic. So a lot of history on the line here. But what does this really mean? Um, pound for pound, I, I don't think anyone, like, I don't think anyone, certainly don't think anyone's knocking Terrence Crawford off of that mantle at, at number one. And I don't think anyone's knocking Inouye off at two. But number three could be there, given um, Alexander Yusik has kind of um, been quiet, waiting for a Tyson Fury bout, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But this is a chance, I think, to move up and stay in that top five for Canelo and still show again, pound for pound, this is where I'm at, and just continue on with the legacy. For Charlo, this is a chance to move into that pound for pound um, top three, top five discussion where he just simply hasn't been so far. So a lot, like, historically and in the immediate on the line. So 
how does this fight go down? From Canelo Alvarez's standpoint, he cannot just be the one-punch headhunter that we've seen over the last few fights. There needs to be a little bit more urgency and a little bit more aggression from Canelo Alvarez in this bout. Just one punch at a time, Charlo is long enough, quick enough, and skilled enough as a counterfighter that he'll be able to, to get a read on that and start to, to take advantage of, of some of those openings. So I think for Canelo, the combos need to come back. The bodywork needs to come back for him. And when you look at the, the last bout here for, um, for, for Charlo against Castaño, um, Castaño had some success when he was coming in and pressuring inside on Charlo. He would get Charlo on the ropes. Now, Jermel did a really good job of fighting off of the ropes after that, but the moments where Charlo kind of faltered in the middle of that fight, he gets the 10th round knockout, first three rounds went to Charlo, the next three went to Castaño, and then after that, Charlo adjusted, and he ends up getting um, the, the knockout with a really good left in the 10th round. Um, the way Castaño won those middle rounds was upping that forward pressure. He had Charlo on the outside basically the whole fight. It was like Sean Strickland against Israel Adesanya, where Izzy was on the, the, the sponsorship stuff around the ring on the outside the whole time. That's basically where um, Castaño had Charlo that entire fight. And so when he had his success was when he would start to push in and be a bit more aggressive. There were shots to the body that were uh, landing successfully, uh, but that right was starting to land with great success as well. Charlo, footwork is good, head movement is good, um, but he doesn't cover up super well. And um, there was some times where Castaño was, was able to, to take advantage of that. Canelo hits a bit harder than Brian Castaño. So I think Canelo's going to have an opportunity in this fight. If he is the aggressor. And we, we've seen him start to defaulter um, cardio-wise in, in some of these fights. But if he has that to a point where he can be the aggressor, be out on the front foot, and really start to, to land inside, I think it could be a quick night and a really, really bad night for Jermel Charlo. On the Charlo side of things, he has a, a really good snapping jab. Like I said, the, the hands are pretty quick. Um, so he is going to want to try to keep this fight to the outside. Um, I, I don't think it's just going to be jab, 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 fight over, he wins. There is going to need to be aggression on, on his side of things and make the fight uncomfortable for, for Canelo Alvarez, especially if Canelo is only going to be doing the one shot at a time thing that we've seen him do in the last little bit. So for Charlo to be successful, the, the hand speed has to be perfect. He basically has to be perfect for 12 rounds to, to win this fight or land the perfect shot, which is, you know, how fist fighting works. But for, for Charlo to win this bout, the hand speed has to be there. Um, and that the pressure has to be there. He cannot wait on Canelo to, to come in. That, that's how he won most of the rounds before he knocked out Castaño, was even though he was on the back foot, he was still the one being the aggressor, landing more volume and also landing more power. One thing he has to watch out for, when he was engaging in some of the those kind of brawls with, with Castaño in the fight, and, I mean, look, I've never boxed, so I'm giving technical advice now, but one thing that you, you would kind of notice, he would get in... It would be like, pop, 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 pop. And then the hands would kind of lower as he was coming out of the exchanges. If he does that against Canelo, he's going to have a bad time. Um, Canelo is going to absolutely be able to, to rock that chin if he's coming out of those exchanges with his hands low. Canelo is so good at seeing those openings, taking advantage of those openings, and putting the lights out on you real quick. So that is absolutely something Charlo has to watch for um, if he's going to be successful in this bout. I just feel like Canelo has the edge here. Um, Charlo is really good, and he is absolutely a live dog, and these odds are way more lopsided than they should be. But I just feel like every time I say, 
well, Charlo should do this. There's a Canelo counter that we have seen him implement against high-level fighters before and come away with a victory. The way that Charlo wins this is, quite frankly, if Canelo has actually taken a step or two back and he cannot deal with the pressure that Charlo is able to, to put out on him. But if this fight looks similar to the style that it was in Charlo's last bout, the result is going to be very different. Someone's going to be looking up at the lights, but it's going to be Charlo this time instead of Charlo's opponent. So my official prediction is Canelo Alvarez to win this fight by knockout. Big fight this weekend in boxing, but some big news coming out of the boxing world as well. It was announced that the fight that we are all so excited for, um, Tyson Fury against Alexander Usyk, has been, I, I guess, somewhat agreed to. Um, they're actually they're going to actually fight um, either the end of December or sometime in January 2024. Um, there's a number of levels to this. One, not often do you see someone schedule their next fight before they fought their most recent one. And that's what Tyson Fury has done here, as he has a fight against um, Francis Ngannou coming up this month um, in Saudi Arabia. This fight also going to be in Saudi Arabia, as Tyson Fury has some international connections that would um, make it rather difficult, some would say illegal, to um, fight and make money in the continental United States of America. So, uh, Saudi Arabia it is. Don't think about that one too much. Or do. Another podcast for another time. Um, look, we, we, no one is thinking that Francis Ngannou is uh, a, a real serious threat to, to Tyson Fury. But it, it's... I, I'm using this as motivation every day if I'm Francis Ngannou and Mike Tyson training him. Um, because th th that is a bold, bold move. To That Fury thinks that he's going to be fine in like a month or two to go on and take... Uh, to go on a fight like a, a pound for pound top three fighter in the world right now in Oleksandr Usyk. But I, I'm so happy that this fight is finally happening. And I, I think will be kind of a, a nice cherry on top of what has been a really fun era in the heavyweight division. Will it be a passing of the torch or will it be an exclamation mark for Tyson Fury? It's going to be really fun to find out. But um, Francis Ngannou obviously has boulders for hands. He could absolutely shock the world and um, and put a whole lot of things into doubt if he was able to, to pick up a win in Saudi Arabia. But odds are that's not going to happen. And then we finally get the fight that, that boxing fans and hardcores have been waiting for for a long time with Tyson Fury tasting, taking on Alexander Usyk. Just initially before I, I do a deep dive into things... Usyk is so good. Usyk is so incredibly talented. But Tyson Fury is so big. Um, and also talented. And has just been able to do things that not a whole lot of people his size have been able to do. So I, I would give the initial edge to Tyson Fury. But I feel like the more Usyk fights that I watch, the more close I, I'm going to, to go with, um, with Usyk on this one. But oh man, I'm so excited. You know what? Like, just fucking blow it out, man. Put Wilder against Joshua on the same thing, right? Like, um, let, let's actually put a, a final bow on this era of heavyweight boxing with Joshua against Wilder um, and, and really do this thing right. That would be so much fun. It's not going to happen because Joshua against Wilder is a pay-per-view of itself. Um, but I, I, I would really like it to, to have that happen. I'm just, I'm just happy this fight is actually going to happen. Um, let's close the show today with uh, a little bit of pro wrestling talk. Big news in the world of professional wrestling this week, as Jade Cargill has jumped ship from AEW to WWE. It remains to be seen how she will be utilized, um, but if you've listened to me over the last couple of years, you know 
I think this is someone who has superstar potential in the the women's division. I thought that they were the the new face of the women's division in AEW. That was never really the case. Um, she is not a, a performer without flaw, but you put her on a poster, people are going to pay attention. Um, she absolutely has the look. Her in-ring has gotten better, um, and she just has that superstar quality about her that um, I, I think, like, one day she can absolutely be a star. And I, I think that it is... It's a real edge that WWE has right now, is that I think they have a significantly better developmental system for someone like a Jade Cargill. AEW is really good at um, providing a platform for performers like Darby Allin and Orange Cassidy and Sammy Guevara, who didn't have that national stage before, to now get that and thrive. Um, and then they've gotten, like, they've maximized some talents, right? Like, that they had the eye for the acclaimed, and I think have gotten more out of those two than WWE ever would. But when it comes to kind of taking a coal and turning it into a diamond or whatever analogy you want to use, WWE still has the opportunity and still has the better resources with the Performance Center to do that. So I think this is a home run for the WWE and Jade Cargill. Like, you, you just think of, uh, again, putting it on the poster, but then the, the matches and whatever you could do. Jade Cargill against Rhea Ripley. Jade Cargill against uh, a Charlotte Flair. Like, th those types of things. It, it is... The potential to add a superstar to the WWE here, and I think a big win for the WWE, and I think it's going to be a big opportunity now for WWE to show, hey, look, young, underutilized talent in AEW, you don't just have to be Cody to, to come over here. If you don't think you are getting um, the absolute 100% value out, out of your career with AEW, come over to our side, let us show you what we can develop you into. That would be a big big thing for the WWE because it, like AEW can opt for opportunity although the, the opportunities have been limited for certain performers um AEW can offer the the opportunity and the fun and all of that WWE uh, I think still has a better developmental system and still the, the bigger platform so th this is going to be an interesting test case but a big win I think for the WWE all right speaking of big wins we're hoping we get one in today's ticket As with most NFL weeks, it's uh, it's a big one uh, for today's ticket. We will start on Friday with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We have clicked minus seven and a half for Winnipeg um, in their matchup against Toronto. I just don't think the Argos are taking this one as seriously as Winnipeg, and the Bombers are really good. So I think the Bombers take this one minus seven and a half. Montreal is just a better team than Ottawa, so only having to, to give up a point and a half in that one uh, against the, the Red Blacks. Feels pretty good. So I like Montreal there. And I like Hamilton to beat up on Calgary. So we're taking the Ticats minus one. Also on Saturday, in boxing, we are going Canelo Alvarez by knockout. Um, the, the the book that I am using um, is going with the, the, the old kind of European style of them. So it's at um, 3.40. Uh, so basically three and a half to one. We're getting it. And we're getting right at three to one. Canelo Alvarez and Charlo to go less than 11 rounds. On to the Sunday slate. We have taken Baltimore plus two uh, in their matchup against the Cleveland Browns. We've gone Cincinnati minus two and a half against the Tennessee Titans. We're going Miami plus three and plus 130 to just win straight up. Uh, Eagles minus nine, Rams minus one and a half, Pittsburgh minus two and a half, and Chargers minus five. That is today's ticket. 
And that is today's show. Thank you all so much for tuning in. If you're watching on YouTube, the cat's fine. She's sleeping over here. Um, but uh, like the video, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. Uh, gave out a lot of opinions today. If you disagree with any of them, by all means, let me know. Um, that that kind of stuff really does help. Or if you just think the show is awesome, just say, hey, that was great in the, the comment section below. If you're listening in podcast form, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Greatly appreciated. Um, those uh, sorts of things. Like I said, that's it for the week now. Coming up, uh, we're not going to have a reaction show to the Canelo um, fight. That will probably come up on, on Fights and Football Friday next week, um, just because I'm going to, to be out of town. So coming up on Monday is going to be our NHL Difference Makers episode. Coming up on Tuesday, we're going to, to look at, um, at starting anyway, our Calgary Flames preview for the upcoming season. As always, find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKline, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, CouchPotatoDiary, at yahoo.com. You can also find us on Facebook. Thank you all so much for tuning in today and throughout the week, and I will talk to you all later.